stop the worry because the worry is what keeps you in that place of like, I don't know how I can do this. And that's all just noise. Yeah. And learning to recognize that fairly quickly is what made it a little easier because it's mostly just the noise in your head that's going to keep you from going. Welcome to Depth and Candor, the podcast that explores how changemakers of color define and live out their purpose through their careers, side hustles, and entrepreneurial contributions. I'm your host, Hua Tegetana, and I am so thrilled to take you with me as I talk to incredible innovators about what it really takes to do impactful work and live a life you love. I don't know if you can tell, but I have a cold today, but that's not going to get us. It's not going to get us stuck. We're going to keep a pushing. We're going to keep a moving. Here's a little story. A few years ago, I remember waking up from my sleep in a panic at three in the morning. I was stressed. My mind was running a mile a minute. I was thinking about all of the things I had to do in the morning and how I couldn't forget to do X or tell so-and-so why. I started breathing heavier and contemplating maybe I should just get up now and do all of these things or am I going to be exhausted tomorrow? But if, oh, and as I listened to my own thoughts while lying in bed, I felt a little bit sad for myself. How did I get here? None of the things I was worried about were even things I truly cared about. I just wanted to make sure my boss stayed happy with me or that that one friend wouldn't get upset about that one thing I forgot to do for them. It was almost a glimpse at my subconscious mind, the part of my brain that ran the behind the scenes. And the glimpse showed a person who needed to prove her worth day in and day out. Months later, I came to learn that this self-judgment, this hypercriticism, it was just a form of internalized oppression. After all, I am the byproduct of a patriarchal society that tells women that we need to do more, be more, look at her over there, try and be more like her. The feeling that I needed to be or do something different to be worthy was my internalized oppression. I was the byproduct also of a racist society that told me that I needed to outperform my white peers to be viewed as equally competent. The feeling that I internalized, the one that said I needed to outperform to be worthy, that was my internalized oppression. And don't get me wrong, I'm not extrapolating all of this from one sleepless night. (laughs) If you know me, you know that I have had many a sleepless night. But this was just the first one where I woke up a little bit to my own neurosis. And I get emails from many of you asking what it takes to find your passion or your purpose, to which I almost always respond with, I don't know. But for me and for the people that I've interviewed so far, it has taken trying something that you were interested in and then pivoting until you land on something that genuinely feels right and brings you some level of joy. But there is also a part of me that wonders if any of us can really find any kind of joy in this world if we don't truly believe that we deserve it. No amount of work done from a place of self-judgment will give us a lasting feeling of contentment or happiness. But work that's done from a place of love and work that's done from the understanding that your worth does not need to be attached to the outcome, that can be magical. After exploring the back end of my own mind that night, I started examining a lot of the moments where I realized I didn't feel worthy or that I didn't think I deserved something. 
And the truth is, I am worthy of my wildest dreams simply because I am here. And I deserve every single thing I desire. To me, today's story is about deserving. It's about believing that you are worthy of whatever your heart desires, race, gender, creed aside. Today's guest, Fallon Carter, is the owner and principal planner at Fallon Carter Weddings and Events. After graduating with a degree in political science and on her way to law school, Fallon had a career change of heart after assisting a friend with her wedding in Paris. Enjoying the logistics and the organization of events, Fallon Carter Weddings and Events was born in New York City. This boutique planning firm specializes in destination events with a classic and contemporary feel. Fallon Carter Weddings and Events have been featured in Vogue, Martha Stewart Weddings, and Brides Magazine, just to name a few. From Brooklyn to Bangkok, Fallon and her team turn your ideas into perfectly crafted celebrations. You are about to hear Fallon's story. Here she is talking about how she defines a vibrant life. I have to say I do have a vibrant life and I enjoy it. And I I know you do. (laughs) I wake up every morning and say that I am grateful for the ability to have the space to create something. Um, So a vibrant life to me is having the ability to do kind of what I want, when I want and how I want it which I, I understand is a luxury and I understand and appreciate that I am very, very grateful and blessed and honored to have it. So I don't want to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's why I honor it as often as I can, because I never want to lose this ability to literally live, travel, go up, out. And I don't have to really ask anyone any questions, of course, other than my clients. But alas, it's you structure what that looks like. And I have worked really, really hard to kind of structure a life that I feel is extremely vibrant um, and free of regrets. So this is not the career you planned for when you were in college, though, right? No. So I went to school to become a politician and I was extremely passionate about helping brown and black people basically navigate their way through legal things. And I just thought policy and politics would be a great way for me to impact those that look like me. Um, That's where change was happening. I wanted to be a woman who could fix it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've always been passionate about knowing the answer and problem solving and conflict resolution. And I was like, I can do it. And I know I can. Um, And that's where I was like, politics, law, that would be a good fit for me. Interesting. Okay. So how long ago was that? I mean, I don't want to tell my age and all, but um, I went to, yeah, I graduated from college in 2008. Okay. I graduated Uh, in 2010. So we're two years apart. What were you from that moment until this moment? So much must have happened for you to go from, I'm going to affect policy, which P.S. was kind of my line of thought too. I don't, did we talk about this? No, we didn't. Uh, Yeah, because I went to grad school to study public policy and health finance. And I was of the same thought where it was like, I want to improve the lives of black and brown people. Specifically, I wanted to do international policy work. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was just what I thought I should do and what I thought I could do. Not necessarily. I never thought about like, do I love this? No, none of that. Yeah. 
So how did you go from that to where you are now? Tell us that story. I will say it feels, the job feels similar in the fact that it, I am solving a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I am helping people in just a different capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think what really prompted the transition was when you're preparing for law school and even when you're, cause I lived in DC for a year to work and to figure it out. You realize that politics and the behind the scenes of politics isn't exactly what they teach you in school and that it's much harder to fix the world. And I think, What's deliciously naive about people in undergrad is that they all think they can change the world. And we're taught to all think that we can change the world. And we're the one person that's going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Not to say that there isn't that one person out there, but I don't think I would have had as a vibrant life if I had chosen the other path. I think my life would have been a lot more conflict and the world is just messy. So I'm, I'm excited that I transitioned and the way that the transition came about was attending a wedding. Um, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine from high school, she was from Nigeria. Her sister was getting married to the only son of this Nigerian family. And she's like, it's going to be a huge deal. Right. And I was like, cool. I mean, I love Paris. Did a student exchange there. French is great. Champagne is even better. The wedding was in Paris. Absolutely. Okay. And it was amazing. Okay. So I went and it was great. I helped a little bit, um, a lot of it. And then that's when I realized, oh, there was a problem. I solved it and then I'm done. And then I move on to the next thing. And I felt like I could do this realistically. And I'd always been interested in events, but same as you, it's like, I how do I make money? How do I, can I really, is that a real job? Like, do people really do that? And this was new to, in the wedding, the wedding industry wasn't as big as it is now then. And with policy or with politics, I was like, I didn't really like it, but I knew that that's something that I should do. I'm good at it. It makes sense. No one else in my family did it. I could show off. I'm the first in my family to graduate. Maybe I'll be an example. Like that's, that was the original feel. Tell us more about this Parisian wedding. Well, I think, I don't know if anyone's ever been to Paris and came back and said, well, it was all right. Um, so Paris is always great. And I consider it one of my favorite cities to visit. Um, I love Paris for the feel, the energy, just it, it's instantly romantic. It's instantly calming. And back then in my old life, I ate all things gluten and all things cheese and drank all the wine. So it was great. And the wedding was, at Trianon Palace, which is a Waldorf Astoria property legit across the street from Versailles. Wow. So it was no expense was spared. It was three days of back-to-back events. I have never had so much champagne in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Nor, you know, it's like everyone had Hermes and it just smelled like money and it was just like, I like it here. (laughs) (laughs) You are my people. So when we arrived on the first day, that's when we got hit with the bad news. It's five days until the wedding. I'm geared up for ultimate days of just champagne overflowing and and fabulousness. Mm -hmm. Her wedding dress had been shipped from Nigeria to Paris, and so had all the bridesmaids' dresses. Once they arrived, they were not the dresses that she had thought they were going to be. Oh, my gosh. 
So she's got this big to-do wedding, and we have five days now to find her a wedding dress and to find all of the bridesmaids' new dresses, given that some of them arrive the day before the wedding, and we don't really know their size. We're going to guess. So um, I kind of put my head on it and was like, well, you know, let's make a list of the places we can go find a dress. It's Paris. Like, this can't be that hard. It's a fashion capital. And we began shopping for the dress. And we ultimately find her one because she was a model, old school model and sample sized and it worked out great. And on the day of the wedding, I was running around grabbing extra flowers. I was grabbing sewing kits. I was asking for weird things in French. And it was, I felt alive a little bit. I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. It's like, I'm fixing things. (laughs) So it was just like, one of the straps on her dress had popped and I'm, you know, we're on the terrace before she walks into this beautiful ballroom. Versailles does fireworks at night. So you are hearing the fireworks and you're seeing the sky all lit up. And it's like, if this isn't a sign, I don't, it's almost <laughs> like, it's like, hello. <laughs> so after like sewing her up and, you know, I'm sweating, I've been running and I, I'm just like, ah, you know, you open the doors, you see the room, she walks in and it's like, that, that's a, that was a moment. Mm. What did I you was, feel in that moment? I felt useful and I felt that I changed someone's life for the better. Because mm. that's such a big moment in someone's life. It is. And even though it seems so small to some people, it's like, it meant something to her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, if it's just one person, it's fine to me. And I was like, a lot of her bridesmaids were like, you should consider doing this as a job. And I was like, people make money with And I remember the last day I was leaving, um, I went to an ATM in Paris. And on the ATM English, written in English, like scratched with a key, it said, this is not a dream. This is real. And that's when I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Universe, you're loud and clear. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so I wow. came back with my job and that's what started the transition. What were you doing? Like what job were you in at that point? I worked at an Israeli aerospace company. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worked for, for the Israelis. Um, so we manufactured um, like drones and stuff. Um, fun okay. stuff. Um, but I worked in Arlington, Virginia. Okay. So at this point you were thinking like, I'm going to start prepping for law school when this happened, right? Yeah. I was already like, I had my LSAT books in my bag. I was ready to go. I signed up for a test and I was considering like American or DW and now, yeah. Okay. So so you came back (laughs) and you quit the job and then what? I quit the job and then I, I, well, I did a little deep dive of research. Like, how do you make money planning weddings or how do you plan a wedding? Mm-hmm. Cause this was also like the first wedding I'd ever been to as a guest. Mm-hmm. Like I'd been to my aunt's wedding like years ago when I was a little girl, but this was like, this is a wedding, like right. three days, like this is a wedding. Um, and I deep dive into where people spend the most money on weddings. And that was New York. So I was like, well, do I have to move? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what that's what prompted the concept to move. Okay. Uh, 
So I deep dive into a little research. I went to a four week course on planning a wedding okay. at a community college. And she taught us how to make a timeline and how to do vision boards. And after that, I was like, cool, I'm going to start a website. And I went on Wix, got some stock images from somebody else. I love you. Thank you so much for your help. I appreciate you now. <laughs> um, put up a crappy website if I think about it now. Got some cards off of Vistaprint and started pimping myself as a wedding planner that I really actually never planned a wedding. So how did you get your first client? Um, I was at Congressional Black Caucus. I was at a networking event. And this girl that I was like standing near said she was getting married. And I chimed in and I said, you know, hey, I'm new to this. I'd love to do your wedding. Um, here's my card. That looked like trash. But <laughs> it's like, but ultimately we had a meeting and she trusted me to do her wedding. And the outcome of the wedding was great. The planning process, not so great. And <laughs> um, I mean, looking back on it for someone who had never done it, it was like, you didn't do that bad. Yeah. But <laughs> the wedding happened. Everything kind of ran on time. But like I did the flowers and I, I don't think I'm, I would never do that again. And I had moved to New York during the process because her wedding was supposed to happen months later. So I was like, great, I'll, I'll transition to New York and then I'll just come back when it's time for the wedding because our communication just needs to be email. Yeah. She gets pregnant. And bumps the wedding up drastically. So I had to go back home to basically, you're push, when you push up a wedding, even in, in any capacity, even now pushing up a wedding, it's like, oh, because then it's like you have to tell the venue, you have to move up all the vendors. It's like everything is now condensed into a much shorter time. Yeah. So I think that having that experience as my first wedding was like, Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like, think or swim, sis. Think or swim. So even learning how to craft a timeline, what what I learned in that class was nowhere near what real life experience is. Like mm -hmm. nowhere near it. So I was Googling every day. I was I was just stealing as much content from other planners, from websites. I was reading every book. I was like, what am I missing? Did I get it right? Y you know, you're deep diving and you're really creating a system that you're creating the system while you're in the project, which is like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's which is essentially what starting a business is, right? It is. It is. And I'm even trying to figure out how to start a business. Like, well, I'm going to need another client after mm -hmm. this. And, and now I'm moving to a whole new city that I don't even know how to navigate. So I'm moving, I'm moving to the city. I have her little bit of money with me. And I'm thinking that's going to last me. And I realize... In New York, nothing lasts you. <laughs> um, so I had to get a job in finance. So I moved here, got a job in finance. She tells me, hey, the wedding's been bumped up. I'm like, huh. So I'm working on her wedding while holding down, you know, a temp job, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm literally just juggling everything. I'm trying to do her flowers. I'm trying to figure out how to run a business and how to maintain a lifestyle in Manhattan. And I'm under 25. So this is all very like, <laughs> you're, you're on. Yeah. Um, so what so was happening? <laughs> what was happening in your head? Was it doubt? Was it anxiety? What was it? Because I, I would imagine if I were in that position, I don't know, like I could see myself being so anxious to the point of either complete like submission <laughs> or... <laughs> super anxious and executing but 
inside being deeply unhappy? Probably the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was extremely anxious, but I was so excited because I felt like this is this is going to work and this is going to be it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've always been a very independent person. Like I've always been the adult in my family. So um, like I would wake up the first in the family. I would tell, you know, I had to remember how you had to call the weather line. I'd call the weather line and I'd write down the weather on the sticky note so everyone knew what the weather was going to be. I've always been the person who could figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was going to figure this out. Yes, it was freaking hard. I was doubtful. I never had enough money. At some point, I didn't even have enough money to take the train. I would just have to walk. So it's like, I've been so broke. <laughs> it's almost like, I don't, I don't, I looking, thinking, talking about it now, I'm just like, wow, I have like come so freaking far. But <laughs> man, that shit was the worst. It, <laughs> you know what? My move to New York story is actually quite similar. Well, you know, no wedding planning involved, but um, I graduated from college and I was like, maybe I'll find a job in D.C. I went to Virginia Tech. So I was in Virginia. My family was in Northern Virginia. And um, I remember sitting in my aunt's basement and I was like, "Okay, cool. So it's like June 1st. And I'm like, cool. So um, I should probably plan what I'm going to do with my life. Cause I thought I was going to go to med school and realized my last year, like that's not really what I want to do. So I need to figure it out. Um, so I applied to a bunch of jobs in DC, none of which I was really excited about. And then <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, there's one thing I know for sure. And it's that I want to live in New York. And I'd been to New York maybe once before what? on like a high school trip. <laughs> yeah. and so I pack up my my sister was here and she was an intern at the UN and UN interns don't get paid so (laughs) she was an intern staying at a hostel and I was like oh I'll be fine like I'll just go live with my sister and I pack up these two huge suitcases and I just show up on the bus and I remember the bus driver being like what the like, are you moving? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I was like, actually, I am. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister and I always, always talk about that summer because Fallon, we were so broke. We were so <laughs> broke. And the hostel she was staying in would give, um, would like serve breakfast and lunch. But I wasn't allowed to be there. She wasn't allowed to have guests. So she would eat half her breakfast and then bring the rest to me. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, and any money we had, we basically like used it, which like sounds so wild to me now because yeah. it I mean, that was 2010 and that was just 9 years ago. That was just so yeah. it, it, I always think about that because I'm like, how different is my life going to be nine years from now? Right. Like or even like four years from now, your life is going to be so dramatically different. But I know exactly what you mean. Like you have to almost be willing to experience that in the pursuit yeah. of the thing that you want. Yes. And that's when I realized entrepreneurship isn't for everyone because if anyone tells you how hard it really is, it's, it would be easy for anyone to say, oh, absolutely not. Like, 
Yeah. And I've always been, I, I won't say I've, I guess I'm fairly spiritual in the fact that I've I, like, I grew up watching the secret. Mm. Like my mom would like put it on repeat <laughs> in the house. So I was always like, I, I know I can do this because I'm visualizing it. I'm seeing it. Like I'm always going, going, going. And I even have like, um, I, I used to carry this paper with me and it's now my mantra, but it's all tattered up and I've, I have it framed now, but I carried it the first couple of years that I lived here. And it says, I expect lavish abundance every day and, and in every way. I specifically give thanks for lavish abundance today. And that's my mantra that I say in the morning when I meditate. But I would always hold it in my pocket and like kind of rub on it as my, you got this, sis. Like you got lavish abundance. Yes, you only have a dollar in your account, but focus and focus <laughs> and you're going to get it. But it's not going to come tonight and it's not going to come tomorrow. And when you're starting, you're just thinking about how to make it to tomorrow. And every time I would talk to my mom about, I don't have any money because she didn't have any either. So she was like, <laughs> she was like, all you got to do is think about making it through today and tomorrow will take care of itself. Mm. And every time I start thinking of like, oh my God, I don't have a client right now, but I'm like, but do you have enough money to make it through today? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, actually I got enough money to make it through next three months. But she's mm. like, <laughs> yeah, so stop fretting, like stop. Stop the worry because the worry is what keeps you in that place of like, I don't know how I can do this. And that's all just noise. And learning to recognize that fairly quickly is what made it a little easier because it's mostly just the noise in your head that's going to keep you from going. So it's like, yeah, I got all this racket going on in there, but let me just go out here and see what I can make happen. I need to put some pennies together. So So you're actually touching on um, a big thing that I love to talk about on this podcast, and that is the mindset of creating a life that you love. And I think, I don't know, tell me if you agree with me, but I think 90% of living a life that you love is mindset based like 100% because you could be a millionaire and I've been in positions where like I've made more money than I ever thought I could and then been miserable inside Mm -hmm. and part of and like environment and what you're doing and all of that shit matters a lot but how you think of yourself and how you think of your capacity I think is it it's like everything if not 90 it, it might be 100 percent of it it's seriously 100%. yeah it's 100 percent. so how do you keep your mindset going in the direction that you want your life to go um i will say i am extreme now that i think about it i'm extremely appreciative of kind of growing up in this the secret even though it's a terrible film um <laughs> <laughs> and i've always been I guess I've always visualized and I knew that even when I was little, like little, little, I was always planning little parties and I was always writing out little invitations and I was always trying to be a little extra. And my mom was like, why are you always being so extra? And I was like, cause I like nice things. <laughs> like I'm reading Martha Stewart living and asking for a KitchenAid stand mixer at 12. So it's like, I'm, I knew that I knew that something there was something more for me. And as far as mindset goes, it's like you have to know that and not to say that I've always thought this about myself. This is this is always going to be a work in progress. But I'm at the point now where it's like I know I deserve it. And I think a lot of people 
want something, but the one thing that's going to keep you from really getting it is if you don't really think that you can have it or that you don't really think that you deserve it. And even like, like you said, one time I did get a huge client and the check comes in and you're like, you instantly think somehow somebody's going to take it away. Yeah. Um, like I've held checks like in my bra and like ran to the bank, like to <laughs> cash it right away. Cause you think somehow. And I was like, you really have to change your mindset about your, your relationship with money and how you think about it. And do you have enough space to receive it? Yes. Your bank account may be extremely empty, but are you mentally prepared to receive it? And do you know what your plan is to do once it hits your, your hands? Mm -hmm. And if you're always in the mindset of need or want or lack, that's also going to keep you from missing the mark. So I'm, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just, (laughs) church, took us to church. So I'm very, like a lot of, I never, not never, but I'm very, very particular about the words I use, even when I'm joking. I never joke about being broke. I never joke about lack. I never joke about wanting something. I never joke about needing something. And even with my friends, like on the text message, one of my friends just said, oh, I just paid my rent. This is a terrible day. And I was like, First of all, I just pay my rent too. And I'm very excited that I've paid my rent and I have the ability to pay my rent and that I'm not homeless. So changing my perspective on everything has been game changer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you do on a daily basis? Like this is a perfect example, but when something that's not necessarily like triggered by other people, do you meditate? Do you journal? Like how do you maintain a clean or healthy mind? Meditation is huge for me, Um, 20 minutes in the morning, and I'm trying to now do 20 minutes before bed um, as far as visualization. So um, like I go into my Beverly Hills mansion and I sit in the car and I walk through the closets and I talk to the partner that I want to have and I smell, you know, the lavender in my yard and I, you know, think about the calls that my team is making because we're working on a wedding in Paris again and I'm troubleshooting on the phone. And it's like every day I kind of walk through moments of like, what would that feel like? And I really want to hone in on the joy that it brings me so that it vibrates to the universe. That's been important. Journaling is great because then you can just write down your life in a little story and it's all fun. It's almost like you get to really create it. And it's really weird. But it's also just the music I listen to, the shows I watch, the podcasts I listen to. I, I want everything to be on the up. So you mentioned your Beverly Hills mansion. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I fully support that. And it what it triggered in me was for a long time, I used to be afraid of saying that I wanted to be wealthy. Like I felt like a, like, cause people do judge you. People judge people who are wealthier. People judge you for saying you want to make money. We love to talk about the positive impact that we're going to make on the world, but we don't want to talk about the fact that we want to be rich, right? Or maybe you do. (laughs) (laughs) I have no problem, but go ahead. 
<laughs> no, I love that. I love that. And I think I think it um it's important for black women to hear other black pe- women say that because I think that we live in this bubble where we're told the 1% is which like the 1% is problematic, but we're told we should never aspire for wealth because the the wealthy are evil, you know? And I yeah. really appreciate hearing a black woman say uh yeah i want to live in a beverly hills mansion <laughs> and what and that's just one of my houses i have houses in italy too i didn't even tell you about those but i have a whole olive uh farm and we do wine in france i got a whole lot of houses wow but um i love that i also grew up in like a lot of brown women or black women in single family in a single it was just my mom and i knew that i never a lot of people also promote women to find a man that has money. And that never excited me. I was always like, well, why would I have, I don't want to have to ask somebody for nothing. So even since I was like, I had the ability to work, I worked. Mm-hmm. I've had always three jobs. I'm always over here somewhere. I always wanted, I knew I always liked money. And I recently read a book, um, You Are a Badass at Making Money. And she talks a lot about people who, think money is evil and all of this. And that's when I got to the, to the concept of change relationship and how you see money. And now, cause I even had to change my thing of if I get it, someone takes it away. So that was my thing. It's like, I'm going to get all this money and someone's going to come and take it away. And I'm never going to have any more ever mm-hmm. again. And now I'm working on the concept of money is always here. Money is always here when I need it. You know, I live abundantly in every way. I'm never, I never have to tell myself no. And so that's the that's the relationship I'm working on now. But I, I want so much money that I have to have wheelbarrows like to like <laughs> wheel it. Like, <laughs> like did y'all see that video with Oprah with yes! to the bank? I was like, yes! <laughs> Why don't you tell the audience what she was saying in that video? <laughs> she said she had a check. She wanted to go to the bank. Oprah, of all women, wants to go to the bank and feel how it feels again to deposit a check. And she's on some night show or something. Maybe Jimmy Fallon. I don't know. And she and he was like, well, how much was the check for? She's like, oh, I don't know, like three million or something. And I would love to one day just shrug <laughs> and say, oh, you know, it was like, you know, just 10 mil. You know, just wanted to go drop the check off myself because I don't have an army of people to go do it for me. Like, it, it was, I was, I it blew my mind and I was like, I want just because we're always told no, or that we need someone else or that I, somebody got a co-sign or this, this, and this. And I was like, no, I want every chick after me, like, or even around me to have, like you and I, we should park our yacht together when we're in the Mediterranean. That's right. And then my other girl, she going to park her yacht too. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to ask nobody for nothing else. Like, no, we deserve it all. All of it. We're talking about this because we were talking about how you felt um, as you were planning that very first wedding. But it went over successfully. (laughs) Adjacent. (laughs) How did you go from planning that wedding in D.C. to planning an international event? Well, she led me to another planner or another friend and I planned her wedding. And then the photographer that shot the first girl's wedding, 
um, recommended me to a couple here. So then things started to roll and then I started to meet more vendors and vendors led to more weddings and that was great. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years, the girl who got married in Paris that I helped with the dress, she called and said, Hey, I'm, I want to do my 40th birthday in Capri, Italy, and I'd like you to plan it. One, I'd never heard of Capri and two, I didn't speak Italian and three, I knew nothing about a, how to coordinate a destination event. So I, I mean, I, I said yes, of course. I was like, absolutely, sure, I'll send you a proposal. <laughs> no idea what the hell I'm doing <laughs> again. So, <laughs> and then, um, but it worked. And, you know, you find a caterer, you find a villa, you find a couple more villas for the other people. And then you realize, okay, we need a florist. We're going to need the photographer. I found a DJ in the middle of this miscellaneous prep of an island like off the Mediterranean yeah and you figure out how to get there and okay we need a ferry well what time do the ferries leave so it's all logistics and it's all things that I'm good at so it worked and we get there and everyone's fine I may or may not have booked some villas that didn't have air conditioning and these people are sensitive about their air conditioning I didn't think there would not be air conditioning. So that's trouble. That's probable, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the dinner was perfect. Um, I did seating cards. The florist dropped off the flowers. We had lemons on each little place setting. It's a long table. The sun is setting. They were overlooking the ocean. It's beautiful. I think it went extremely well. The DJ was cranking out tunes that we knew. <laughs> and so the, the event overall was a huge success. And that's when I realized, again, with this woman, she's literally like my little angel. She is. Uh, I was like, yeah, this is, I like, I like being away because people, one, it's smaller because you're not going to get a hundred bodies trying to go overseas, but everyone was on their best because you're in a great place and the environment's great and you don't need so much decor because the atmosphere is delightful. The food just tastes better because I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that's, that opened my eyes to the concept of, I want more people to experience this. So had you quit your job at this point or, okay. So tell me between that first DC wedding and this event, when did you decide you were ready to quit your job and how did you make that decision? I would say I was at that job for like one or one or two years. I mean, it's millennial age. It's like if you stay there longer than a year, it's noticeable. So it's like I want to say that I was I want to say a year and a half or two years. And then I was working just miscellaneous temp things like I left the permanent. And then I had a retail job that was part time. I picked up little things because weddings started picking up and I couldn't really give myself. And even during the finance job, I was like leaving at lunch to go meet with clients or leaving lunch to go meet there. And it was, they even saw what was up. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to <laughs> leave y'all. <laughs> um, so the transition was extremely scary because now you're really banking on these people to pay you on time because at, I also had roommates at this point and, you know, I definitely missed a month at one point and it was bad. It was really bad. Um, and 
you know, you're trying to be like, girl, I'm working on something. Like, you just got to stick with me. But they're not, they don't care. They just, they, they just don't want to have to go to court. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, you know, you're trying to hold up on your commitments, but at the same time, you're trying to make this life that you know exists. You just need somebody to give you a chance. So just like, girl, I got you next month. So, <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, eventually it just, it cracked. You, you just, you just finally get that one person that's going to give you the, the good amount of money. And then that's when you also realize I need to step up because I need to step into this moment of, I deserve this amount of money and Mm -hmm. I deserve more than this amount of money. And that's what prompted better paying clients and better paying clients meant working less and having more disposable income and relaxing and being able to catch my breath. And I feel like just this year I have been able to literally breathe Mm -hmm. and I've been doing it for what, 10 years now. So I'm finally at a point where, oh, look, there's a profit. Look at that. <laughs> Isn't she cute? <laughs> you know, I love that you're saying that because we live in the world of Instagram where everyone is rich and happy. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like, how do you... How do you continue to try and market yourself and build a personal brand if that's even a thing you you are interested in doing? How do you continue to do those things without being fake? As much as I feel imposter syndrome, I never wanted to lie. And I've never been a liar mm-hmm. um, because I think that I'm very big on the universe and things coming back to get you. So it's like, and my mom is, I, I know I, res, I talk, I talk to my mom every day, which is why I, I mention her often, but she, she very much raises as do not lie. Don't tell stories. There's no need. Be yourself and yeah. be your truest self. And people will resonate with that. I also am very, my mission in this world is to help other people that look like me. And I can't do that if I'm not being honest with myself and with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also being comfortable with myself is a very new thing. Mm -hmm. And I've spent the past couple of years really deep diving in just being okay, being black in this industry. I just got comfortable wearing my natural hair to the gym as of like this week. So it's like, I know, I understand that everyone's struggling and it's like, who am I to try and put on this facade? It's like, we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's like, Take it or leave it. <laughs> like, it. It doesn't serve any of us for me to make you think that I've got more clients than I've got or that I'm making more money than I have. And, you know, my Instagram will show a well-traveled life. Yeah, it's well-traveled, but I don't know. It's like I'm still working. Like I don't – I'm not sitting on the beach deliciously all day and ordering miscellaneous drinks. I took a picture of this beach between running back and forth to tell the client, wait, we got to do another – yeah, so it's like <laughs> it, everything can look a certain way, but I don't think being authentic is is really means a lot to me, and yeah. and I I want that to resonate through my social in every way. Hmm. So that's yeah, that is helpful. So you mentioned the last couple of years being pretty transformative for you. Let's talk about that because I've watched you transform in the last couple of years. Physically, I've watched you transform in the last couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure there's been internal stuff that's been prompting it. So 
Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your personal evolution as your business continues to evolve. What What's changing inside? How are you different today than you were just two years ago? Mm. Um, well, what really happened was with weddings and with my business, I was like, I was having an interesting time because I didn't know if this was, was this going to be my life forever? Was I always going to be judging flowers or like lighting a candle like when I'm 70 years old <laughs> and it's like you know I'm 33 now it kind of happened around 30 you're kind of wake up and you're like oh I'm like an adult now like I this is this is happening cool 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 so I was like well, what does the rest of it was the first time I really thought about well what does the rest of this look like like if I'm at the third of my life what does between now and like a hundred look, look like yeah. and what do I want it to look like? And I, if I'm going to make some changes or if I'm going to be satisfied with my life, I need to make those changes like now or at least set the foundation for that to happen. So I did a lot of therapy because <laughs> I wanted to do, I really wanted to clean house. I was like, I need to clean up my business. I need to figure out better systems. I need to figure out better processes. I need to figure out how to manage money because I'm getting it and I sure don't have nothing to show for it. Like, so yeah. where is she going? So, <laughs> um, and it's like my body, yes, I'm a curvy chick and no man was complaining, but I didn't feel like my best self. I also didn't feel authentic in the fact that like I said, I wasn't comfortable without a weave. I wasn't comfortable without lashes. I wasn't comfortable just being me. And in this industry, I felt like I was always having to be someone else for someone else. And it's like, I was tired of putting on the different face every time I went into a different room. And I was like, I need one face. I need one hair. And I need one, one bed. And I need one, like, I just need one of everything. I need to, everything must go. Like I'm a recondo that thing before Marie Kondo was out. Like, everyone must go. <laughs> like, final sale. Like, so, um, so therapy was extremely helpful and, like, extremely helpful for doing a real good back-end, gut clean, talk to your mom, talk to dads, your siblings, all of that good stuff. So got her out the way. And then, <laughs> um, then it was, like, business. What systems do I need? What habits? what rituals and that's when food came into play because I was dissatisfied with my clients because I was taking everything personally and I realized that was my ego so I needed to get my ego in check and I need to figure out how to get the ego in check I need to get my mind clean to get my mind clean I need to change the food that I'm eating and I need to change the workouts and I need to push my body harder because if I push my body harder to different to experience different things, then I can push my mind to experience different things with my business. And that's when vegan and gluten-free and everything kind of came to life. And that's when I realized, wow, like what you literally ingest will make or break anything. Well, <laughs> so let's dive a little bit into that. What did you change? Like you became vegan and gluten-free. Did you change anything else? Yeah, I stopped drinking alcohol and I went heavier in my meditation um, and more diligent in what I'm ingesting visually. So I mute, I mute a lot of posts on social and I 
I, I took a break from social heavy as far as like I, I took a couple of months off of social media, like flat cold turkey, um, because I have a huge comparison problem too, like looking at other planners work and you're like, wow, my flowers weren't that good or whatever. So just try, I did literally a hard reset on almost everything. Mm. I cleaned my house from top to bottom. Um, I, you know, did the whole email, like I'm only checking at 10 and two. So I cleaned the email box out and I really created a system of when do I talk to my clients? When are my real office hours? When am I not available? When am I going on a date? When am I going out to just look at something at the Met? Like when am I making time for myself to be creative? And when am I making time to physically work on my craft? (laughs) Um, And then travel came naturally to that. And that's what really resonated with like, I like this life. Um, but vegan, gluten-free, all of that, it just, it helped me, it changed my relationship with food as far as a crutch of when I was happy and when I was sad. Um, and I, food was a substance abuse problem to me, to be honest. And it's editing that made my mind sharper. It made my work better. It made me appreciate my clients differently because I was, I felt more awake. I felt more vibrant. I felt... I felt attractive and that made me attract different people. If you could go back. So we talked about college graduate Fallon. (laughs) If you could go back and talk to her and give her some advice as she's like considering maybe starting this thing of her own, what advice would you give her? To be honest, I wouldn't have given myself any advice because I needed everything that happened to get me here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if anything, it'd be like, yo, switch to business real quick and like get up on some econ major, yo. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> learn how to do your own taxes, sis. Like, um, but it would, it, it's like, I am extremely grateful for the life that I have and where I am now in my life. Yes, I would have liked to have started sooner, but I can't say that I would have been ready for to have started sooner. Hmm. To me, if I could tell anyone any advice at all is to figure out a system of how you want to do it. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea, identify the plan. And if you don't know how to plan it, ask someone who does. And then have a lawyer and accountant. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are, those are really, really good. Um, what's next for you? What's next for your business? Um, I, I, uh, I'm like, can I say, yeah, <laughs> I want to restructure, I want to restructure my business to promote more holistic and not holistic in the way that you're probably thinking, but more well-rounded and intimate gatherings and experiences for guests. Um, not to say that I don't still want my big baller clients, but some people are spending more money than they have on events. And I want to kind of make it okay again to just have a regular degula smegula wedding or event um, <laughs> and gathering or really focus on, I want to focus on creating experiences that are memorable and delicious in every way. And I also want a venue and I want a hotel chain that tells the stories of black people along the stops of the transatlantic but we'll get there. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we're going to do a part two of this podcast in a few years. <laughs> um, where can people find you online? Where can they connect with you? 
Absolutely. FallonCarterEvents.com. Or you can check me out on Instagram at FallonCarterEvents as well. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) How do you feel? (laughs) If you don't follow Fallon Carter on Instagram, you need to do that right now. Her international weddings and events look like something out of a dream. Her handle is at Fallon Carter Events. That's F-A-L-L-O-N Carter Events. Now, I would love to hear from you. What did Fallon's story trigger for you? What questions came up for you? Post about it on Instagram stories and tag me at Depth and Candor. Or if you don't want to tell the world, you can also DM me. But hearing from you keeps me going and keeps these stories coming. And if you want more stories, tips, and resources from me, subscribe to the newsletter at depthandcandor.com backslash subscribe. Today's episode is brought to you by Libsyn. Libsyn is a podcast hosting platform. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you're considering starting your own, get a free month on Libsyn by using the promo code Vibrant, all one word. I host this podcast on Libsyn and I can't say enough good things about how easy and fun it is to use. Okay, talk to you next week. Until then, live vibrantly.